There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Longtime listeners, you know the drill. This episode is part of a much longer series. To be sure you get the whole story, we recommend that you jump back and start from episode one. Also, we want to invite any of our thousands of listeners who still use Facebook to join our friendly show group, which currently only has a couple of hundred fun-loving members. Just search for the show's name. We're back to our standard operating procedure, meaning we will now give a shout-out to one of our lovely Patreon patrons, and imply that this person is somehow involved in a conspiracy we just made up. This episode's honoree is Flying Squirrel. And yes, we already know what you're about to ask. Is it weird that Mr. Squirrel lives in a flat above a dapper gentleman with the name B.J. Moose? Sure. Is it strange that he's constantly being pursued by a man and woman with Russian accents who are fully paid-up members of the Villains, Thieves, and Scoundrels Union? Maybe. Who's to say? Is Fearful Jesuit desperately hoping his audience has some idea what the Rocky and Bullwinkle show was so that this very overwrought joke doesn't fall completely flat? The world simply isn't ready for that kind of information. If you'd like your name or your pseudonym to join the Roll of Honor at the top of a future show, just sign up at patreon.com forward slash the paranoid strain at the $5 tier. We thank you kindly, both for listening and for supporting. Finally, whether you do social media or not, please do drop us a line. Tell us what you think of the show. We're open to suggestions, criticisms, and recipes. Send them all to the paranoid strain, that's all one word, at gmail.com. Okay, let's get going. Paranoid Strain Orchestra, hit it. Another absolute barn burner of a fucked up QAnon story dropped into our laps while doing the research for this section. It was reprinted in Vanity Fair, excerpted from one of the several Q-related books published after our research period for this series had elapsed. This tale from Will Summers' Trust the Plan makes the whole book seem like a worthwhile read. I'll try to summarize this very strange story. There are a number of things that set 30-year-old Austin Steinbart apart from run-of-the-mill QAnon influencers. We should remind everyone at this point that Q has mostly fallen silent after the January 6th insurrection debacle. There's even reason to think that the most likely candidate for author of Q's drops over the majority of the phenomenon's lifetime, that is, Ron Watkins, son of the owner of the 8chan image board where Q first appeared, has quietly retired from the role, QAnon faithfuls have turned to a variety of competing QAnon influencers slash interpreters. And in this tradition of cultures' beliefs everywhere, each has his or her own idea of what the meaning of Q's Gnostic pronouncements is and what believers should do about them. 
And also, each believes that their version is the only true word of Q and that the others are heretics, which, of course, is fun to watch. This is the story of one of these influencers who, even if he hasn't been a big star in the world of Q, rockets to the top of our attention because his story is even crazier than the normal Q standard. Again, the Q influencer in question is one Austin Steinbart, and his big twist on the standard story is that he doesn't just claim to interpret Q, he claims he is Q, but not yet. Sorry, what? Let me explain. Mr. Steinbart claims that QAnon is his own future self using a computer whose messages can tunnel 30 years backward through time to post the original Q drops. Oh, Jesuit, come on. Now, in spite of what I just said, please understand that Steinbart does not claim that he himself is a time traveler. It's just that his future self is using advanced quantum computing techniques to send messages through time, like Q drops. Here's the man himself to explain. That's actually one of the things I get the most hatred about in the press and with uh, some of the people who don't know what's going on. They're like, oh, this guy says he's a time traveler. What the heck? And it's like, well, I never said that I personally was a time traveler. I was actually talking about this uh, quantum internet. And uh, for everyone that doesn't believe me, I don't know, I say now, I have this DIA briefing document kind of describing what that is. But it's essentially an internet that can uh, communicate with any position in space or time uh, with zero latency, right? So it can essentially uh, circumvent the normal laws of physics here. And you can talk to somebody 100 million light years away with zero latency, right? And the only way you could do that, like normally if there's a radio signal, that radio signal, if it was 100 million light years away, it would take 100 million years to get there, right? But mm -hmm. it can tunnel through the fabric of space time and get there instantly. And it can get anywhere in space or time instantly. So it could uh, communicate with the past, communicate with the future. Uh, so it's a pretty wild next level stuff. But Still confused? Here's another explanation. Does it make more sense than the last one? I hope not. These are delightful. And, um, Q is an AI made by NQTEL, like the CIA, put into one of these D6 kind of like off book like, you know, technically it's not something that we're doing sort of a category here. And over the years, they were able to like automate those efforts with AI to, to a very sophisticated degree. So for those of you who don't know, uh, Elon Musk is essentially like the new Rothschild. So like the new like preeminent super world guard that Space Age Nightmare Circus is organized around here. Obviously, he can't admit that publicly, but anybody who looks at that whole thing, like clearly that's what's going on. Um, so essentially, they took Elon's brain. Um, they had this Neuralink technology. That's, that wasn't new. That's like old Black Project technology. And they took a copy of his brain. And they essentially put it into this AI system. So it's like, you know, this AI thing that's like a billion Elons. So for those of you that think that sounds crazy, it's kind of like uh, if you've seen that movie Eagle Eye or there was that one movie, I think it was called Nerve. It had like James Franco's little brother in it. But essentially it was like this automated system that was like dispatching assets and coordinating resources in real time in a very sophisticated way. Uh, so that's essentially what this Q thing does. And in 2016, during this thing called burn back um, during the election, uh, what they're essentially calling Russian interference, which is laughable, um, where we were using bots and click farms to just spread hyper-targeted uh, or uh, Hillary Clinton emails to hyper-targeted segments of social media and just blow that up everywhere. Not to say that I, I am Q, but more that I'm like the voice of Q plus in the physical world here. 
So anyways, the way this all worked, um, you know... The- now that you understand his very rational backstory, we can look into his other claims. I'm going to regret this. What are his other claims? Besides the idea that he's in contact with his future self, who is sending QAnon messages backward through time? That he was recruited before his 18th birthday by the super-secret Defense Intelligence Agency, a real group also known as the DIA. And he claims that his future alter ego had, in addition to Q-drops, also provided Austin with tips on the emerging Bitcoin market, which allowed him to amass billions of dollars he plans to use to fund the future of Trump's Space Force initiative. Uh, huh. But it's not just the raving that makes Steinbart such a fascinating Q story. It's also the fact that he seems to have determined the path to real QAnon glory is frequently implying he has committed a wide variety of serious crimes in the name of Q's future success. Quoting Summer's Vanity Fair piece, Austin has... Claimed he had smuggled drugs across the southern border and threatened in a video to kill the Queen of Denmark if she didn't cede Greenland to the United States. For his fans, Steinbart's gleeful flouting of the law merely demonstrated that he was in fact Q and therefore shielded from legal consequences. I also found some audio where Steinbart, apparently seeking to back up the license to kill status he wants his followers to believe he enjoys in his role as future Q, strongly implies that the gruesome apparent suicide of a PR executive in Phoenix, Arizona in 2018 was in reality a murder Austin himself committed using his homemade recipe for napalm. I realize this might sound unbelievable, but again, here's Steinbart himself to explain slash confess? And anyone else engaged in acts of war against the United States of America better stop and disappear immediately. Or on behalf of the DIA, I will personally hunt them down and make a flamboyant example out of them. If you don't believe me, just ask Slimy Stanton's old amigo, Paul Lopez. Things got a little bit heated between us after Paul decided to choose Team Satan over Team America. Hopefully the rest of you spooky little wangsters won't make the same mistake. Aside from the man's bizarre live-action roleplay of himself as an untouchable intelligence agent, billionaire, and future source of QAnon drops via the quantum internet, there is no reason to take the aforementioned supposed criminal activity seriously. Except perhaps as an indicator of the mental state of both Mr. Steinbart and his dedicated followers. Exactly. The sister of one of those followers had actually asked Author to help her get her sister out of Steinbart's QAnon cult which said requester recognized as a sort of postmodern online Manson family, which in a sense made her sister a potential modern-day squeaky from. See our presidential assassination non-JFK episode. Also, researchers have debated for years now about whether or not QAnon is a cult. Not because it isn't cult-ish, but because usually cults have a charismatic figurehead who gets all the money and sexual affections of the various followers, which up until this point didn't really apply directly to Q. Steinbart, though, was hell-bent on completing the cult circle by moving all of his followers to an isolated ranch property where they could pursue their Q-focused lifestyle. 
In spite of the fact that a number of the faithful flocked to his hacienda, Steinbart remained offended that there were doubters out there, including those in the mainstream of QAnon. It's a little upsetting that we can refer to Q as having a mainstream, but it's still more upsetting to contemplate how much of a fucking maniac you have to be for that mainstream to consider you a crank. As we just noted, Steinbart thought the best way to prove that he was future Q and untouchable by the long arm of the law was committing crimes and then sometimes putting videos of his commission of those crimes on the internet. Quoting the article. He started with some old footage he had surreptitiously recorded at his doctor's office, where he filmed himself illicitly accessing the brain scans of football players suffering from chronic traumatic encephalopathy, or CTE. This is a violation of the federal protection of medical records, and unsurprisingly meant that within a week, the FBI visited the compound with some questions. Steinbart saw this visit as a positive development that would help to cement his claims, and while the agents were there, he confessed to other crimes, including pot smuggling and other stuff he claims he was ordered to do by his future self, who communicated with present-day Austin through a chip in the latter's brain. The agents didn't arrest him on that visit, but did so shortly thereafter when Steinbart tried to sick his followers on a cloud storage company he was beefing with, threatening the firm with consequences for interfering with Operation QAnon. He ended up serving eight months, most of it under house arrest, and the prosecution unsurprisingly noted that Baby Q, as his followers refer to him, has significant unaddressed mental issues. To which we would like to voice a hearty nadoy. You'll be shocked to know they uncovered no evidence at all that Steinbart was associated with the Defense Intelligence Agency, which again he claimed was the employer that gave him immunity from essentially all prosecutions. The great social media QAnon crackdown of early 2021 doused the flames of his rising star, and he eventually gave up on the ranch in favor of becoming a very, very right-wing political operative, running the congressional campaigns of batshit crazy QAnon candidates, likely too far gone even for Republican primary voters. One of the more entertaining stories Austin related during his various appearances in Q-friendly videos is the fact that he apparently once shared a prison with perhaps the most famous of all Q adherents, the Q shaman. Um, it's get word got around pretty much in the prison that, oh, there's this guy named Q and he's here. When things happen, like when that uh, guy Jake, the, the bison horn guy, came the other day, I had a bunch of guards like, come and speak me out. They're like, oh, hey, Q, what's up, Q? Your boy Bison Horns is in the building. <laughs> so we're not stuck. So, uh, yeah, it's pretty fun. I can only imagine the fun that was had by these guards upon realizing that they now had two of these nutbars incarcerated in the same institution for their entertainment. On the topic of the Q shaman and other whack jobs who were arrested, convicted, and served their sentences for crimes committed during the Capitol riots, remember how contrite they were when they were asking for lenient sentences? In court records, Matthew Bukowski says he was the very model of a law-abiding citizen. 
His father's reflective court statement claims that he is ashamed of his inexcusable and horrendous behavior on January 6th and that he should have led his son away from the situation. As both father and son angle to achieve the least severe punishment for what they did. Thank you. His crimes will, quote, forever be part of American history. Those are the words of a defense attorney after his client pled guilty to assaulting D.C. police, protecting the U.S. Capitol on January the 6th. In court today, 54-year-old Robert Palmer of Tampa admitted he was the man wearing that red, white, and blue Trump jacket while attacking police, protecting the entrance to the Lower West Terrace of the U.S. Capitol January 6th. Today, Palmer not acting as tough as the man in these pictures, sobbing onto the shoulder of his defense attorney moments before the two men entered court for Palmer to plead guilty to felony assault on law enforcement. That was Mr. Palmer uh, being remorseful about what he did on January 6th and, and also being afraid of what's to come. Tomorrow, a former Cleveland Schools employee will be sentenced for her involvement in the January 6th Capitol riot. But she is asking the judge for mercy, sending a long letter apologizing and saying she's changed. This was Jenna Ryan one year ago. A real estate broker in Dallas, she was invited to ride on a private jet to D.C. If it comes down to war, guess what? I'm going to be there. Recording and live streaming it all. Life or death, it doesn't matter. Those videos became evidence for prosecutors, and in December, she was preparing for prison. In your letter to the judge, you Mm -hmm. said you deeply regret entering the Capitol that day. Yes. Do you regret it now as you sit here? Absolutely. Yeah. I regret that two minutes and eight North Carolina man accused of storming the U.S. Capitol on January 6th is asking the court for leniency in his sentencing. Matthew Wood of Reedsville argues he was misled by former President Donald Trump's false claims of a stolen election. And you remember how the shaman himself, Jacob Chansley, was, quote, incredibly remorseful in his guilty plea when he was seeking a shorter sentence? Chansley pleaded guilty to obstructing congressional proceedings. He had also been charged with a felony count of civil disorder. NBC News correspondent Julia Ainsley is here now. Uh, Julia, this man became, in in a lot of ways, the face of the insurrection. Uh, What reason did his lawyers give for accepting a plea deal? Well, they did say that he was incredibly remorseful and that he had been in a place where he was you know, mentally vulnerable to some of these conspiracy theories. And now he has disavowed Q. In fact, he wants to take the QAnon part of his QAnon shaman name completely away. Um, they said that now he does you know, understand that he is mentally capable and he is accepting responsibility. But because of this plea deal, he will now only be looking at about 51 months in prison. He'll be sentenced later this fall rather than what could have been over 20 years in prison uh, for his role in January 6th. But he- the judge praised the shaman's apology in his guilty plea as, quote, the most remarkable he had heard in 34 years and handed down a much lighter sentence than he might otherwise have. As you might expect, now that they're out and about, Chansley and the other very repentant rioting assholes are taking back their pleas, insisting they did nothing wrong, and in Chansley's case, actually attempting to reverse his entire guilty plea. The BBC notes not only that this attempt has virtually a zero chance of succeeding, but that if it did, the shaman could be open to a new prosecution on the same crimes he was originally convicted for, and this time, his conviction could lead to decades, not months of prison time. Of course, this reporting came before the satisfyingly long sentences recently handed down for the Proud Boy leadership, so maybe those two decade-ish stays in the federal pen will put a damper on the small fry's eagerness to take back their previous admissions. But this topic leads us directly to one of the biggest changes we've observed in the Q movement over the past several years. That is, while Q itself seems to be losing steam as a concept, 
it has embedded in and morphed around another reality denial conspiracy theory with which it shares a great deal of DNA. That is, stop the steal. We had previously considered that Trump's fact-challenged but very loud and rhetorically insistent effort to deny the undeniable, multiply legally attested fact that Joe Biden decisively whooped his ass in the 2020 presidential election has unquestionably supplanted QAnon as the most important stupid belief held by a significant portion of the electorate. And its importance is greater specifically because these particular lies have led to a much larger number of candidates running for office with a sworn goal of auditing the election or getting to the bottom of Trump's completely spurious claims than Q ever inspired. Fortunately, the general voting public isn't buying it. According to several analyses of the 2022 elections, those who ran on a stop the steal 2020 election denial message tended to get fewer votes than a generic candidate with their party affiliation would be expected to, and every single such candidate who was running for a state office that could actually make that person determinant or influential in the case of a future contested election lost his or her race. Still, we're not the only observers who have noticed the shift and how it has impacted QAnon's prominence. The Guardian last year quoted a researcher who noted that with Trump's leaving office and the total failure of the storm of Democrat arrests to materialize, the Q narrative had come to a natural end, that ending dovetailing seamlessly with the beginning of the stolen election movement. The movement no longer needed the codes and the drops and the props and the cryptic stuff. And without the mystic clues and portents, many of the ideas that first gained strength through Q drops have gone mainstream. They have percolated into the public discourse embraced by many in the Republican Party, and no longer need to involve any actual reference to Q or 4chan. In other words, they didn't need to interpret the Gnostic pronouncements of a mysterious prophet, because people who don't believe in Q have nonetheless absorbed the poison in the QAnon Kool-Aid, and it's now incorporated into their political identities as MAGA Republicans. There are plenty of obviously false conspiracy narratives that originate with Stop the Steal and have no real Q component whatsoever. Take, for example, the ballot mules theory, popularized by pardoned felon and spineless lickspittle to power Dinesh D'Souza, who, much like Rudy Giuliani, once had some degree of credibility, which he has since ruined by pumping out pseudo-documentaries, whose sins against the truth make Michael Moore's distortions seem like typos in the code of fucking Hammurabi. Now, that's not fair. I don't want you to think that I believe Mr. D'Souza is an unreliable source. After all, he's made a number of other films that present straightforward, totally unbiased corrections of the historical record. Here, I suppose, he's referring to Death of a Nation, in which D'Souza correctly notes that Democrats in the South were responsible for supporting slavery before the Civil War, for the acts of succession, the post-war Jim Crow laws designed to keep African Americans from actually exercising their hot-fought rights, for founding the KKK, and for violently opposing civil rights throughout the early decades of the 20th century. He does not, however, acknowledge that Nixon's Southern strategy and the efforts of Ronald Reagan's 1976 and 1980 campaigns used coded language to bring those very same racist voters over to the Republican camp, which is where they remain to this day. Okay, perhaps that wasn't a good example, but consider D'Souza's astonishing accuracy in predicting future political events. This one would, I suppose, be 2016. Obama's America, wherein our noble documentarian sets himself the difficult task of convincing the 2012 electorate that, in spite of the fact that President Obama had already been in office for several years at that point, he had cleverly disguised his anti-American, America last agenda, 
but is just on the cusp of unleashing his grand strategy to reduce his own nation's standing in the world in a misguided effort to make up for the sins of colonialism, and that Obama would only reveal this evil plot after he was elected to a second term. You know what? I'm starting to think my first judgment might have been the correct one. Let's at least listen to some of the claims that the 2000 Mules documentary makes in its trailer. Let me begin by asking a very simple question. Do we know the truth about what really happened in the 2020 election? I think millions of Americans know something went wrong and they have little pieces and no one's really put it together. I've been working with Greg Phillips. He has a deep background in election intelligence. True the Vote has the largest store of election intelligence for the 2020 elections in the world. No one has more data than we do. We identified in Atlanta 242 mules that went to an average of 24 drop boxes. But Philadelphia alone, we've identified more than 1,100 mules. What is a mule? person picking up ballots and running them to the Dropbox. Now we come to the most important question of all. Was the magnitude of vote trafficking enough to tip the balance in the 2020 presidential election? It's not a leap to say this would have made a difference. They have ruined election day in the United States of America. That's provable. And that's enough for me to fight the left with every fiber in my body. ProPublica did a well-researched takedown of these and other claims, and we encourage you to look that up for details on all of the ways that 2000 Mules is... uh, mule shit. But we did want to note in passing that the organization that the film depends on for its airtight data on the incredible extent of verifiable election-altering voter fraud is a company called True the Vote. Only as another investigative report found, True the Vote has thus far refused to release any of the data it claims could prove election fraud to any of the agencies tasked with maintaining election integrity in the various states. And in fact, as of July of 2023, the state of Georgia had filed suit demanding that the group put up or shut up about claims that they have evidence of payments made to individuals who then dropped false ballots in the city of Atlanta during the 2020 election. The thing we found most delicious about the whole True the Vote scam was, as you might expect from an organization that feeds the delusions of motivated reasoners who are very willing to open their wallets, surprise, surprise, the people behind the group have made millions of dollars off of their grift. Which brings us to the second to last topic in this white whale of a series, the QAnon as grift section. I'm kind of embarrassed to say that I didn't even think of Q as primarily a money-making scheme to fleece the easily convinced at first. But back in 2020, Paranoid Strain favorite daily podcast The Gist featured an interview in which host Mike Pesca talked with former FBI counterterrorism pro Clint Watts, and they had this exchange. Most sort of enthusiasts, it's just entertainment, right? And it makes them feel good. It's like a team, you know, whatever it is. But then... I think at the original manipulator level, it was to mobilize people as a kind of a social movement, a populist movement. It was to sell crap. And that's what's been so fascinating about Q is it's right out of the gate was meant to sell like T-shirts and cups and, you know, patches. And, meant to and, sell and, T-shirts and cups. I, it's unbelievable. I mean, it's, it's a merchandising. A terrorist organization. Scheme. Yeah. yeah. The merch. It's yeah, <laughs> merch-based domestic terrorist organization. Well, and then, unbelievable. You know, it's, it's that natural thing of scale, right? Which is not that much different than prosperity gospel to a degree, right? Like if you watch that, they're selling tapes and shows and, you know, you buy into the, the group or whatever it might be. Well, then it becomes the opportunity for 
political mobilization. I think that's what's remarkable this year is you see people gravitate towards that and that not just gravitate towards it, use it to power votes, you know, at, at the ballot box, which is impressive, you know, that it could grow in that way. This all got me thinking. The Q account itself has been mostly silent since the January 6th riots. And we've previously noted that other voices have jumped in to claim that they have the perfect interpretation and to lead the true believers. Some, like Austin Steinbart, are hilariously crazy, but not hugely impactful on the movement as a whole. But other Q influencers have been less ostentatiously loop-de-loo in their pronouncements, and thus have built huge followings. I wanted to consider how these big-name Q interpreters were carrying on a very old tradition. That is, convincing those who believe that there is a store of secret knowledge that could drastically improve their lives if only they follow the pronouncements of one particular guru. Mike Rothschild's book, The Storm is Upon Us, traces the history of the grift side of QAnon through a variety of earlier scams that depended on far-flung, barely-credible geopolitical scenarios, just like Q does, with its insistence on the storm and the international war against the child-sex-abusing deep-state celebrity mafia. The book details classics, like a scheme dating back to the original recipe Iraq War in the 1990s. The idea centered around the Iraqi currency, the dinar, which had an exchange rate of three to the dollar back in the 70s when oil was in high demand and Saddam Hussein kept a tight grip on the economy. In the wake of the first Gulf War, back in the 1990s, it collapsed to the point that the dollar exchange rate was in the thousands of dinars. But after the U.S. invasion, the U.S. would rebuild the country and the near-worthless dinara would suddenly become valuable again, just like Germany's marks had in the decades after World War II. So, the argument went, buy a few hundred thousand dinaras for a couple hundred bucks and see what happens. Not the most ridiculous investment thesis I've heard, albeit a very risky one. As Rothschild points out, the problem came when the dinar investment idea met the internet. On one side were the dinar brokers, select websites like Currency Liquidator, Sterling Currency Group, Safe Dinar, Bet on Iraq, and Treasury Vault, which sold dinars as collectibles under the auspices of being money service businesses. And on the other end, you had the dinar gurus, websites and message boards that didn't sell dinars, but pumped out endless rumors, conspiracy theories, and straight-up lies. Gurus with names like TNT Tony, Dinar Daddy, and Wolfie Man claimed that Iraq pulled three-quarters of its currency out of circulation, that the monetary figures given by Iraq's government were bogus to throw off anti-dinar forces, and that George W. Bush said the Iraq war would pay for itself. Note he never said this because he knew dinar riches were coming and had already cashed out along with his crony friends. Beyond all that, though, the process of buying and selling dinars was unbelievably scammy. Most dinar brokers took about 20% off the top of any purchase, selling a million dinars for $1,100 when they were actually worth more like $900, and selling them back was nearly impossible. Not to mention that Iraq's economy continued to struggle with corruption, insurgency, and a lack of leadership. All of it added up to a pernicious scam that defrauded countless people over the course of nearly two decades. Eventually, the whole thing imploded in arrests and lost money, as it inevitably seems to. But Rothschild notes that even after decades of the scam, believers continued monitoring and interpreting every aspect of international news as bearing directly on the large fortunes that would soon be theirs. You will not be surprised to learn that many QAnon believers are among the diehard Dinarians. And as you would expect, the absence of Q during the height of the pandemic meant there was plenty of room for the biggest names in the movement to make money off of one of the most sinister, potentially deadly grifts of all time. When Q is absent for long periods of time, the major Q gurus tend to step into the void and take control of the story such as it is. 
So with Q silent as the pandemic took hold of the world, it was up to the biggest names in the movement to do the work. And that they did. Using COVID to boost their social profiles caused confusion among a population already soaking in it and above all, sell things. And what Q gurus sold the most were quack cures and unproven treatments for an illness that nobody else seemed to be able to get a handle on. What's usually known as the Big Pharma conspiracy theory had already been part of the Q mythology with drop number 252 in December 2017, hinting that AIDS had been manufactured by families in power, and drop number 693 a few months later, rhetorically asking, when does Big Pharma make money, curing or containing? One of Q's strangest drops from April 2018, number 1010, hinted at a vast pharma conspiracy in control of the household products industry, writing, Pharma, Class D, Water, Air, Chemicals pushed for home use cleaning, cancer, baby on floor, hands and mouth, the start, vaccines, not all. So there was a foundation for Q promoters to build on in the early days of the pandemic. Hence, Q gurus began to push a treatment that was already popular in anti-pharmaceutical circles, MMS, a mineral solution that when combined with citrus extract turns into chlorine dioxide, also the principal ingredient in industrial bleach. We mentioned the MMS bleach therapy scam in our Q coverage back in 2020, but the idea that Q influencers could be less true believer and more snake oil peddlers wasn't at the front of our minds at the time. And while we have some sympathy for those whose self-contained, impenetrable mental armor leads them to beliefs that are detrimental to their health, relationships, mental state, and in extreme cases, the peace and democracy of our nation, there's a special place in hell for those who cynically manipulate those beliefs for filthy lucre. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.